Welcome to the Run for PRs podcast. This is your host, Victoria Phillippe. The Run for PRs podcast was created to give away the secrets to transform your training to reach your goals. We ask all the expert run coaches and athletes the questions that you've been dying to know the answers to. We will get the inside scoop on what really makes you the best athlete that you can be. Have you ever seen a fast runner and wonder, wow, how did they get so fast? Well, then this podcast is for you. We are going to do a deep dive to reveal the secrets to reaching your potential as a runner. Our very first guest on the show is Run for PR's coach, Ben Jacobs. Ben Jacobs came to us two years ago with experience coaching at the college level for cross country and track. He has a bachelor's degree in kinesiology and over a decade of experience coaching athletes. He is USATF and RRCA certified. He has coached dozens of first-time Boston qualifiers and several athletes to their first sub-three-hour marathon. In addition to his coaching resume, he is also an incredible athlete. His PRs range from 14.50 in the 5K to one hour and eight minutes in the half marathon. He has battled injuries like a labral tear in 2016, which kept him out of running for several months, but he has worked his way to come back And last year, in 2018, he came in second place at the Bismarck Marathon, running 241. That is 6.09 per mile for 26.2 miles. This guy knows his stuff, and today he will reveal his secrets to success and how he has stayed motivated over the years competing at a high level. He will also share his perspective on coaching and what it takes to be a successful athlete. We will now dive into our interview with Coach Ben Jacobs. Hi, Ben. Welcome. We're so excited to have you on our first episode of the Run for PRs podcast. And I thought that you would be the perfect guest because you are the first coach ever hired here besides myself. And so I think we're just going to dive right into some of the questions. And the first one that everyone's dying to know is how did you get so fast? You have a 68 minute half PR that is super fast. What is that? Like 520 per mile, 515? Uh, yeah, I think a little, a little under that even Five, about 512. I think is what I did. That is flying. I wish I could even run one mile that fast. So how do you get in shape to run a 68 minute half PR? Well, a lot of training and, and a long time of putting in the effort. So it took me, took me years to get to that point. So you had been running for how many years before you ran your 68 minute half? Uh, I ran 68 when I was probably 24 or 25 and I started running when I was in middle school. So I was eight or 10 years of running before wow. that. Yeah, that's definitely a long time. So when people see that, sometimes they think, oh, he's just super talented. But really, you kind of worked your way like from middle school to high school and then running in college. When was it kind of like a breakthrough for you? Or was it always just steady increases over the years? Yeah, I think there were a lot of breakthroughs. I mean, when I started running, I mean, my first 5K was 35 minutes. (laughs) I was the worst runner on my middle school team. And I but my friend joined, wanted somebody to join with him. And then some things kind of came together in high school and I was about a 17 minute 5k guy then. And then decided I wanted to run in college and 
even then spent a couple years in the 16s and had a couple years there before I had a real breakthrough to go from 1550 down to 1450. So I think it, wow. it just takes a lot of time. And I think many times people kind of get frustrated and, and stop putting in the work because they're not seeing the progress. But there were a couple of times that in my running that I had two or three years where I didn't actually PR in a race, but I kept putting in the work and, and believed in myself. Wow. Yeah, that's amazing. So you went from a 35 and a 5k down to 17. I think most people would be interested in like, what happened there is 17 minutes in high school. Is that considered like really fast or how did you get your time down? Just, just working. I mean, you know, 35 minutes would be from not running at all to 17 minutes having run for six years. Mm. And when I started in middle school, I was running two miles a day and we didn't run, we didn't run a ton in high school, but I was running four or five miles a day in high school. And and that's why going to college, running 10 miles a day, I could take off three more minutes. 17 minutes for a high school kid is, is fairly average. I mean, I did okay in, in some races, but I mean, I remember in, in middle school, I was several races, I was in last. I was the last guy to finish. And then to high school where I started to get in better and be in the middle and then be towards the front. And so you were never like the number one runner in high school and in college. You were just kind of like middle of the pack. And then after college, you really wanted to like see what you could do and step it up a notch with your training. Well, middle school, I was definitely the back. High school, I was usually third or fourth or fifth on my team. And then when I went to college, I was probably in our top seven until my senior year when when I was when I really had a big breakthrough and was was our number one guy for a lot of races. Wow, that's crazy. So going from like seventh on the team to number one, was there anything that you did differently? Or do you think that it was just being patient and trusting the process that got you there? No, I, I definitely think it was just being patient. I mean, it didn't, you know, I increased my mileage smart. I was able to stay healthy, did a lot of the other things right that, you know, nutrition and strength training and after a couple of years, things just finally clicked together. Wow. Yeah, that's amazing. I feel like most people would kind of like give up or give up on themselves. Um, was there anything that you did to like stay motivated and just believing that maybe you could break through that plateau that you were at? Uh, I think just, yeah, I mean, just sticking with it. A lot of people don't don't stick with it or think that whatever their goal is, is, is too far to reach. And, and I had big goals too, I think. Um, you know, and I went through rough, rough times in running too, where, where I struggled and where I really backed off running for a couple months or took some personal time, but I always had the belief in myself that I could, could get to that point. So I just, just kind of sticking with it, I think, and persevering is one of the most important things. Totally. I think that's really relatable because we all go through seasons where we're like, oh, I feel like I'm not improving. And then if you just keep with it, like change starts happening. And it might not be right away. Maybe it takes a year. But I really like that you kind of went through those rough patches. So I know that you ran the 68 minute. You ran it in like 2013 and in 2015. And there was a big change that happened there. Um, I know that you had a really bad injury where you tore your hip labrum, if I'm saying that correctly. Um, and you had to take multiple months off of training. Tell me like what happened in those two years and how you got back into shape after having to take so many months off and having such a debilitating injury. 
Yeah, I mean, it it was really really a tough thing, and I kind of kind of spent that spent a year of taking one step forward and one step back, and and having things flare up quite a bit. But I think again, just kind of sticking with it, knowing knowing that I could do it, that I just had to stay focused, doing a lot of PT work and strength work to heal up that hip because it's not something that's really going to heal, but strengthening the areas around it are kind of what, what made the difference there. And just enjoying the sport too. I mean, there were times when I couldn't run, I really wanted to get back to running and then just starting slow and and being able to have fun with it still. Yeah. Like when you started your comeback after taking so many months off, were you ever like, oh my gosh, this is super frustrating because your paces were slower and you just weren't feeling as motivated? Because I know when you go from being super fit and like really in good shape and then you have to take so much time off, it can be really like demoralizing to see where your fitness is at when you start back again. So how did you kind of work through that mentally? Yeah, I mean, it definitely, it can definitely be discouraging at times. And, and then, you know, sometimes you think, I don't know if I can get back there, but I think just keeping it fun, you know, if you keep the right mentality that, that running is supposed to be fun, it's not not really your job. So if I didn't get back to the point that I had been, I was just happy that I could run after having not been able to for so long. Right. It's so funny that you say, like, it's just for fun. Because I would think of you as, like, someone who isn't, like, an elite athlete or sub-elite um, just depending on how people classify it. And here you are saying like, you're just doing it for fun, just like everyone else out there is just doing it for fun. And that's how you have experienced success is just by keeping it fun and remembering like, you're just doing this as a hobby. Um, and I think sometimes people kind of lose sight of that when they get really, um, involved in the training. How do you keep yourself from putting too much pressure on yourself with your performances? Yeah. And I, I think people really do. And, and a lot of times, it's good to put pressure on yourself, but sometimes it's un- unfortunate because it kind of ruins the sport for you. So there was a time where, you know, I was traveling for races and running, running a lot of high profile races. Um, but then after kind of after the injury, I just wanted to be able to do it again. So kind of having these goals of like, if I could just be able to run again, if I could just be able to run this much again, well, maybe I could get into a race. So just kind of keeping it in perspective that you can't go from zero to a hundred percent just overnight. I mean, it took, it took a long time. Yeah, totally baby steps. And I know that this past year, 2018 was like one of your highest mileage years since you had that injury. And, um, that's just so many miles to be running. You ran like 4,000 miles I read, and that's a ton. So how do you stay motivated to keep putting in the work and doing that? Um, yeah, it, it was a really good year and, and I hope that I can build on that next year too. Um, I think with motivation, you know, there are certainly days when I, when I don't want to get out there also, or some days when it's hard. The other day it was four degrees and I actually was able to get out and run 10 miles. So I was happy with that. I think just having fun with it. Um, I don't always wear a watch or care what, what my pace is. And a lot of times I just kind of go by feel and for fun. So I think that helps keep things fresh. Other times, if I don't really want to go run, I just kind of think like, well, you know, I'm going to feel better after I do this. And then I usually do. So 
Right. Totally. So it's good to know that you have those days where you wake up and you're like, I just do not feel like running today. Cause I get that a lot too. And sometimes I wonder if you get it or if like the super fast people get it. Um, so it's good to know that you're human, like the rest of us, but it's really interesting that you said that sometimes you don't run with your watch. So when you ran, um, your half PR a few years back, did you wear your watch or a Garmin back then? Or tell me about that. No, my, my fastest, half I didn't have I didn't have my Garmin on I think I was taking manual splits with my Timex but I kind of just the race started out really fast and and I started out more conservative but I kind of kept an eye on some guys and then I realized as it was getting like eight miles that I was catching on them and then I was looking at my splits and realizing that I was running faster and faster each mile and finishing strong so I think I think that really helped. Whereas my next time when I was in pretty good shape and went for a half marathon, I, I did wear my Garmin and I had, had this plan and I went out to run miles and then I got slower my last couple of miles and I didn't have that, that goal. And I think it's just because wearing the watch sometimes can get in your head a little bit more and you kind of lose focus of what you're trying to do or being in touch with your body. Right. So I think the biggest thing people are wondering is like, how did you know what pace you were going? You know, because everyone has their pacing plans and they always have a plan on what splits they want to run each mile. But so you think that having your garment actually made it harder for you to pace yourself because you were looking at it a lot and just going off of your garment or and you weren't really going off of how you felt? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think people have a tendency to do that. The Garmin, the Garmin can be a really good tool, but with any technology, you're not really sure what you're getting. I mean, my Garmin, sometimes when I was training for my marathon, I did wear it. And, you know, it can be really frustrating some days if the Garmin says that my heart rate is 200 when I'm basically jogging. And I know that's not the case, but it's kind of, you know, calibrating based on the previous day that I did a workout and it's telling me, well, you shouldn't be, you shouldn't be out running today. But I mean, that that's not really true. And then same thing if you're in a race, and I know my marathon last fall I wore the Garmin, and it was feeling pretty good until 20, and then there was kind of a hilly mile, and I had a my, – my mile was slow, and it beeped. And then you kind of think in your head, like, okay, well, you know, now I'm not feeling good. You can kind of get in your head using – Yes. I totally know what you're saying because I did the Monster Dash half where I ran my PR this fall. And there was a hill at mile, I think, 11 or 12, and I was feeling super strong. And then as I was going up the hill, I made the biggest mistake of looking down at my garment, of course. And I saw, like, how my pace dropped almost a minute per mile. And I was like, oh, no, the race is over. And I feel like it can really get in your head because if maybe if I didn't look down, I wouldn't have, like, gone to that bad mental place. So I feel like, yeah, sometimes definitely – if you're wearing the Garmin, it can get you in a negative headspace. Um, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. It could be a good tool too. I mean, it just depends, you know, I guess, how did I find my pace in that one? I kind of knew what pace I wanted to run. I, I had practiced it in practice and I kind of, you know, just had that in my mind. Like I need to be around this area. So I didn't have, right. but when I went through the first mile, it's like, okay, this is, this is pretty good. I'm doing well, you know? Yeah, like you knew how it was supposed to feel. And I think that's a huge thing is like when you're practicing your workouts and stuff, do you have your athletes just go more off of feel than 
pace or do you use both or what do you think is best? Well, ideally, I mean, when, when I coached at the college level, we didn't really give the guys a pace, but hmm. it would be kind of, they kind of knew. I mean, if you're, if you're a 16 minute 5k guy, you kind of should know what you're trying to run in practice on the first rep and then working down, working with other people. People really like to, they like to have a time and a pace range. So that's kind of why I like to go with, with the range because I found if you tell people to run X pace and they miss it by seven seconds, that's when you go with that negative headspace where you all oh, shoot, you know, I missed it. I like, I didn't, I didn't do what I was supposed to, but seven seconds could be a hill. It could be anything. It's that's not detrimental, but so having a pace range, I think is good. If you could go out and do workouts by feel that's, that's what I did last fall. I mean, I ran about six flat pace for my marathon and then I was afterwards trying to calculate how many miles in the last six months I had done at six flat pace or under, and it was only, it was less than 50 miles. Wow. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah, I think a lot of people can learn from that because I think people sometimes think they need to run all their long runs at marathon pace or they need to do a bunch of tempo runs that are maybe faster than they should be going. And I think that's really important to know that you don't always have to be hammering it. So you do a lot of your miles at like an easy pace then. Yeah, I mean, I'm not the most exciting runner. If you looked at my, my training log, most of my runs are at a very relaxed pace. And, and that pace is even more relaxed than it was five years ago. And then when I, I last fall, I was only doing one workout a week and one one quality long run. So basically two, two hard sessions and my workouts weren't super long. Most of the time it was about four minutes of, or four miles of work and six miles of warm up and cool down. So I was doing substantial mileage. Same with most of my long runs. I would consider it a quality effort if you go 14 to 20 miles, but in most of those, I would never get close to marathon pace. Maybe the last two miles I would be somewhere near marathon goal pace, but I wasn't, wasn't doing it for most of them. My average would probably be 45 to a minute 30 slower per mile than, than what I ran my marathon in. Right. Yeah. So your marathon was pretty remarkable because you came, you ran, um, you went to CIM in 2016 and you had to take a DNF at mile 22 and then you came back in 2018 and then you ran, um, you got second place at the Bismarck marathon running 241, just a couple seconds off of your PR and you had a ton of injuries that happened, um, in between. So, can you kind of talk about like mentally training for this race and how you kind of overcame like the taboo DNF that no one wants to talk about or like kind of talk to me about like how that was mentally for you? Yeah, I mean, CIM, I was in, I was in very, very, very good shape and I had, had been injury free with my hip for about three months, but I was having occasional flare ups, but so I had a great 22 miles and my hip really started to hurt about then. And I got, I got pretty, pretty scared because it was kind of the same feeling that I had felt before I had to take about six months off of not running at all. Mm. So I had to make, and, and sometimes I, I probably don't regret that decision. I mean, I, I decided then to stop because I wanted to be able to keep running. So I had a great race going. I know it would have been a big PR, even if I had just jogged in, but so I didn't regret that. 
then right. was able to keep training, but due to kind of due to that hip thing, it, it caused, it's caused my stride to change a little bit. And I have a little more rotation from my hip, which I think kind of led to me tearing my Achilles the following June. And I did that kind of the opposite side of the spectrum there where I was in a half marathon and I knew I hadn't been feeling really good, had been having some Achilles pain. And I decided to just kind of run it at a moderate pace. But even still, about at mile 11, I just had excruciating pain and I had to walk the rest of the way in. And then after that, I, I had about four months of not being able to run at all. So when I did start back up, I was just running easy and doing run walk mostly. And about four months after doing that, I did a 5K that I ran about six minute pace. Two months after that, I did a 10K that I ran six minute pace. And then this is about eight months later, I did a half marathon that I ran about six minute pace before I started training for four months for my marathon. So it took a long time to come back and it, but I just had to be patient with it. Yeah, that's crazy that you started back with the run walks. Like when I hear someone who's so fast saying, yep, I started back with run walks, that just really speaks to how important it is to like rehab and give your body a break. Because I know sometimes when people get injured and then we see them wanting to come back, they're like, why am I not running more? Why can't I do a three mile test out run? It's like, it's really important to like give your body that extra space. And I think that is what helped you come back so quickly. I mean, I think that's a pretty good comeback if you, you know, like in a year you go from having to take a couple months off completely to getting second place at a marathon. So do you think that that was an attributing factor is just how slow you took it coming back? Yeah, I, I do. I think it was. I mean, my first week I did three runs of 11 minutes with two, two minute run, one minute walk, you know, so, so I was coming back that, I mean, that's really, really slow. I did. Right. So I did that, you know, and then worked up to 10 miles a week, 20 miles a week, kind of got around 30 for a couple months of feeling good without having any, and I was still having, you know, I was still doing, doing PT and working on, right. working on the and strength. You're someone who runs like a hundred miles a week. So like 30 miles a week for you for a couple months, that's like one third of the volume that you're used to. So if someone listening that you normally are running 30 miles a week, that's like you running like 10 miles a week for three months and focusing on PT. And that's just really important to kind of get your body back in alignment and strengthen all of those right. um, weaknesses that are going on. So yeah, I think that was really important because now you're after your marathon, you were totally healthy and you're still running really good mileage right now, right? I am. I mean, and I, I kind of gave myself two months where I just kind of ran what I wanted to. I ran the marathon in the middle of September and I have just been kind of running for two months. I think, I think that that's also helped keep me healthy. My Achilles feels, my Achilles and hip both feel really good. I think kind of too often people want to jump back into a race and I even considered jumping back into another fall race and then just decided that I wanted to kind of shut it down and, and relax and recover. Yeah, I remember that. You were like, should I do another race? And I was like, well, I don't know. How do you feel? So I'm glad you didn't because I think that's going to like set you up for success in the spring, don't you think? Yeah, yeah, I think so. I mean, it's it's fun to race after not after not racing for a year, a year and a half. I really wanted to do it, but I still was able to hold back this year and, and only race a few races and, and have fun with it. So I think it'll set me up well for next year. 
Yeah, you are someone who races a ton. So I race maybe, I don't know, like once a month during the summer and spring. Like I maybe race eight times a year, but you, I feel like almost every weekend, sometimes you do. So talk to me a little bit about racing for fun versus racing for like a PR or racing for a workout. Yeah, and I I think that's one thing too that was was really key as I was kind of developing and, and growing up is I just like to race, especially like during the summer, my off season from, from college racing, I would race, you know, I would be at a race almost every week, but never did I say, okay, I'm going out to race now. I would try, try different things, try different paces, you know, start kind of start at different paces. So I never thought like, okay, I need to go out every week and get a PR. I mean, for me, it was just a different, workout every week if I ran a 5k I would run a faster workout if I ran a 10k it would be a a slower workout or if I did a half marathon maybe it was just kind of for fun to to run and then finish the last two miles as fast as I could to see kind of see how I was progressing along so I always kind of did that and then even when we got into the season you know we have all these races leading up to the championship races and I would try different strategies start with kind of different people and try to finish hard or maybe go out harder and see, you know, how I can hold it, that kind of thing. So just trying different strategies in those races, I think has kind of helped me stay fresh when I was. So, you know, in college, you basically have a couple races a year that are your a key races. And I think I kind of had that mentality on the roads after college too, where when I went to grandma's, that was my a race. A race yeah. I wanted to run fast that day and I ran a half marathon two weeks before that I'd run, I ran like 109.30, but I knew I had a lot left in the tank that day, and I felt really good about it, and then I just recovered until my next race. Right, so you you use some of your races as workouts then. Yeah, and I think, yeah, and that is just a good way to kind of practice getting into a race mentality and, and getting in a race setting, but you kind of have to hold back. I think if you go out and, and race hard, once a month, even you're you're gonna get a little burnout. Worse, if you have one or two races a year that you're keen on, you're gonna be a lot fresher. Yeah, totally. I get what you're saying. Like I found this summer because I'm one of those people. If I sign up for a race, I can say I'll use it as a workout, but I I can't, like physically can't do that in a racing environment. So, what are your tips for people? Like, do you think some people can't really hold back, or they just don't? have the ability to use a race as a workout or what are some tips that you would have for me or other people who are like how do you use a race as a workout yeah I think I definitely think some people struggle with that because because you get out there and it's so exciting I mean but I think as you mature as a runner you kind of you try to figure out how to run a 5k because that's you know in a 5k the tendency is to go out really fast but as you mature you realize that you're going to feel a lot better if you go out easier and and pace yourself so I think the same way with just getting in races for workouts you just have to kind of have the plan in your mind that okay this is not my all-out race I don't I don't have to kill it here and you know and nobody you don't have to impress anybody either you're just doing it for you and for your workout totally do you think that sometimes like social media or like wanting to always run a PR do you think that has a factor in how hard people race if they're supposed to be doing it as a workout and then sometimes they go and decide oh I'm actually going to race today instead yeah yeah I think so I think social media plays a big 
role in that because you don't want to post that some people might not want to post that they ran a slower 5k or a half marathon two minutes slower than they did a month ago because then people will think that they're you know digressing you know they're not progressing along but it just depends on the situation I mean I, I did a half marathon out here last year on a really hilly course and ran a couple four minutes slower than what I'd run two months before but I have to keep in mind it wasn't my a race I was doing it as a workout and it was a lot tougher of a course. So you can't compare, you can't really compare a half marathon to a half marathon. There's always different factors. Right. Totally. And even like on untapered legs versus tapered legs, if you are doing one as a workout, I mean, your legs are going to be kind of heavy from the workload that you're doing during that week. And there, it's not supposed to be a PR. And I think Sometimes as you get faster, it's harder to hit those PRs. You probably know that for sure. Um, And I think sometimes athletes maybe get frustrated because they think, oh, well, this is a workout. And in the back of their mind, they're thinking, well, maybe I could still PR. But I think sometimes that skews like the overall goal is maybe you're supposed to be PRing in this race, you know, in two months from now when you're peaking instead of at the current moment. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Do you ever have athletes that have um, problems doing races as workouts? Yeah, I definitely have in the past. And it's not, I mean, it's not realistic that you're going to be able to, to PR at the same distance every time you, you know, every time you do that race. I mean, you're going to have to, and that's part of the learning process too, is you learn how to race with different strategies. So my half marathon, you know, I, I ran a half marathon PR then before I got back to that point, I ran several more that were slightly slower, a minute, 30 seconds slower. You can't, you really have to kind of figure out how to race and what you, what works best for you. So I think I have athletes that have gotten better at that, but I've definitely had athletes that, that kind of want to PR every time. And right. that's just, that's tough. I mean, that it's tough to do. Yeah, it can be really addicting because I feel when you first start out, it's almost like every race or like every workout can be a PR and you're getting that taste of success. And one time you told me, once you get a taste of the success, it's like a drug. (laughs) And I think sometimes people, it it really is because they want to keep PRing and they want to keep improving. Um, But as you get faster and more experienced, it's a longer process. And sometimes you have to like do a four month training cycle just to take, you know, like one or two minutes off of your halftime. Yeah. That, that would, um, yeah. That'd be a great, and you know, that would be a great improvement. So I, th- right. I think you have to, I mean, I think every time you race, there's a chance to find success, whatever, whatever you define that is. So having kind of having that vision of what would be a successful day to day. And that's why I also like having multiple goal levels. I mean, you can have this big goal, but if you finish and you miss it by 30 seconds in a half marathon, that that's still a pretty successful day. Oh yeah, totally. That's that, I would consider that a success. <laughs> Do you think that in a, let's say in a marathon training cycle, how many races, if you got to pick, how many races do you think is ideal for your athletes? In a marathon training cycle, I would say, I mean, maybe, maybe a 10 K and a half marathon that, you kind of run at race pace, but I mean, as far as like trying to PR, maybe, maybe one plus the marathon, but that would be maybe a stretch. Totally. I felt a little bit, 
I don't know, after I ran my half PR, so I ran a half PR end of October and then CIM is the beginning of December and it was a five week stretch. And I felt that it was very hard to recover from um, my half PR that I ran and then run another marathon PR. I felt after my half, I almost felt like, okay, time for a break, but it's really hard to kind of rebound. Um, and I never really experienced that before. And that, I mean, and that is a mental thing after you, it's kind of like after you reach the top of that mountain, it's hard to think about going to a next peak without having that recovery. Yes, I see exactly what you're saying. Yeah. So it's almost like I was just sitting there waiting, you know, okay, I want to do my, my goal race now. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's, that's always challenging. But I think sometimes running a half during your marathon training cycle is good. But to have, it just depends on how far away you are from a PR, but to have them both be like a races, that can be really mentally draining. Yeah, it can. And, and having, having multiple marathons in a year, I mean, maybe having a spring and a fall one that you trying to target both of those can work, but going, more but doing than- that year after year after year, I feel gets really exhausting for some people. Cause then you're never really taking more than like six months off from the marathon distance at a time. Right. I, I think so too. That's, that's why I've only done a couple. Yeah. Do you think that that when you see athletes who do multiple marathons a year, do you see a decrease in performances? Yeah, I mean, I, from my experience, I would say you you risk having a decrease in performance and a decrease in, in your mentality and in, in your motivation. Yeah, totally. I have definitely seen and experienced coaching people who want to do, you know, like four or five marathons in a year and even using some of them as like easy runs or just, oh, I'm just going to do this one easier, moderate because it's a bucket list one. It's still 26.2 and it really wears on you both mentally and physically. Some people can handle it totally. I'm not saying that, you know, no one can do it, but I think it does really wear on people. Yeah, you always have to, I mean, a marathon is always a marathon. And no matter what, when you hit that 20 mile mark, it's going to be tough. I mean, even if you're having a great day, it's, it's still, it's going to be a grind. Yep. The, the last 10 K of a marathon, that's where it all it all starts. So you've worked with the most athletes here at run for PRs out of any of our coaches. And what are some of the things that you have learned over the years that makes an athlete successful? Um, Well, I think as a coach being, well, as a coach and athlete, both being flexible. And I think that's something that has been going a lot better, but many times when people see, a training plan, they kind of think that it's, that it can't change or that's written in stone, but you have to be flexible. Different things are going to come up. Your body is going to adapt differently and you have to be willing to be flexible and make changes. I think that that's been a really big thing. And, and I find that athletes that are having fun and enjoying the process are going to be the ones that are the most successful. Yes. That is so interesting that you say that. Cause I know, one of my athletes, Stephanie Flippin, last fall, she wanted to take her marathon time from 350 down to 325 or down to three sub 330. She ended up running 325. But in all of her training logs, every comment that I would see from her was like, this was so much fun. I loved this workout. It was so fun. And here she was like hitting paces she had never hit before. And these were hard workouts, but she said that they were fun. Whereas 
other logs you might read and they would say oh like it was so hard today and there's always like you can either see something as positive or negative and I feel a lot of people sometimes they get stuck on the negative and just staying positive like you said can make such a big difference yeah it's in its way I mean it's a lot easier to focus on the negative and overlook the positive but I mean having a positive attitude can really do a lot for your running and, and people people don't always realize that I mean, now on training peaks, you can do a smiley face for your perceived effort. And, and so a lot of times, like when people run an easy run and then have a, a frowning face, <laughs> it just makes me wonder like, why, you know, you, you got to run. It was, you know, you're, you're feeling good. Find, find the good in that. I mean, it's always fun to be able to run and, and not have pain. That is so funny that you get the frowny faces sometimes. Whenever I log my stuff in training peaks and ask how I feel, and even the normal face, I feel like I can't put the normal face because it's not smiling. So I'll like go back one so that it says that it was okay or that it was good. Um, yeah, I think that's a huge thing because when you're finished with a run and the first thing that you're thinking of is, oh, that was a terrible run. Even if it was just, you know, a regular easy run, um, I think that like does do something for you mentally. And then you just turn into this negative runner and this negative athlete. And when you're negative, your body can't, like, perform as well. Right. Yeah, and I think – I mean, bad days happen, definitely. But if you can kind of have a positive attitude and start having more positive days than you do have negative days, then when you have a negative day, it doesn't seem like such a big deal. It doesn't throw you completely off. Totally. And another thing that I think some of our successful athletes do – which you are a huge preacher of this. And when you first started, you even were like, Victoria, we got to do easier, easy runs. Like we got to like tone it down. Um, and I've always been a preacher of keep your easy days easy, but you really like hit that home with, um, with everyone I run for PRs and kind of just sticking to that. So when you go out on your easy runs, like compared to your marathon pace, how many seconds per mile slower are you going? Oh, at least a minute. And I mean, that's a day, if I'm feeling good, it would be at least a minute slower. You know, a lot of times I run the dog or I run with my wife and, and I'm running two minutes slower than my, than my marathon pace to start. You know, I would say always be progressive and, and I try to pick it up a little bit near the end, but it's always just kind of relaxed and whatever my body's feeling on the day. Right. And even days where I've asked you, like, what do you think my easy pace should be? You were always just like, just go off a feel. (laughs) And I just, I go crazy over that because I I am someone who wants to know, okay, what is the fastest that I can possibly run? And you're like, you can just feel it out. Just go off a feel. And I love that because instead of giving, you know, okay, you should be between eight and like 830 pace. It, you actually are tuning into your body and thinking, is this easy? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And some, I mean, if you do a hard workout today, tomorrow, you're probably going to have to run easier than what your typical easy pace is but I think too often people still want to be at the top end of their easy pace as it is written so then you're kind of getting a mini workout the day after your hard workout by by trying to push yourself right and you definitely don't want to do that because if you're not recovering from your workout then you're not going to be able to hit your next workout and it just turns into like this domino effect yeah because when I was training for CIM I ran 7 20 pace um, there. And a lot of my easy runs, 
were around nine minute pace. So really, I mean, I was going pretty slow on those recovery days after a hard workout. Right. Um, And I think, yeah, so I think that's a really good habit to get into of just kind of turn your, if you're wearing a garment, just turn your watch face so you can't see it and just kind of run. And and it doesn't really matter if you're, you know, nobody's going to judge you if your recovery run was really slow. Right. It's better to kind of gauge more off of workouts because sometimes I get emails from athletes and they'll say, oh, like now that it's a taper, can I run my easy days faster? Do you ever hear stuff like that? Or, oh, now that it's the off season, can I just pick up the pace on my easy days? Like, what would your response be to that? (laughs) I would say no. I mean, after my marathon, like in my off season or, or leading up to my marathon, I mean, I probably ran even slower than what I would typically run because I need, you know, I either need the recovery to get ready for my race or I was coming down from the race and it doesn't really matter how fast you're running then as long as your body is feeling good and recovering. Right. Totally agree with you. Do you ever get athletes who want to like judge their progress based on their easy run pace? Yeah, I, I I do. I mean, luckily usually able to kind of talk it out and kind of figure out some common ground but as far as you know you should judge it by your I mean I would love to judge it by the races if you go through a train cycle and have a really successful race then clearly you were doing things right I mean it's always hard to show up at your a race and have your best day possible but I think if you allow your body to recovery take the easy days as recovery days you're going to set yourself up a lot better for that success yes exactly and so using how do you calculate pace ranges for your easy days? If someone was trying to figure out what pace they should be running on their easy days and they're listening, they don't have a coach. Yeah. I mean, I, I really like the Jack Daniels calculator. That's the one I typically use. Um, but even then, if you were to put in kind of the times that I run, then I'm probably, you know, according to that, I'd be running too slow on, on a lot of my You know, what's really funny is I just plugged in a recent 5K. Like, let's say you did a 16 flat and a 5K. It says you should be running between 640 and 705 pace. And I know you do some of your runs around like 730 pace. So you think that it's okay to go even slower I, than those yeah. paces? Yeah, I mean, I think it is okay. Some people people have asked me that or people leave logs in their comments or like, you know, I just couldn't move today. I was feeling so tired and, and it's like, well, that that's okay. That's good. Or if you're doing a workout and it's a recovery jog between your sessions, Oh my gosh, <laughs> how fast yeah. should I go? And it's like, it doesn't really oh. matter The what you're measuring is your quality session. You're not measuring your recovery session. I mean, so, right. So thinking of those easy days more as like a recovery session than right a, like fitness builder even though it is yeah. building your aerobic base and all of that yeah you um, you do but you it, it's the same kind of the analogy that I sometimes use is like when you if you're in the weight room lifting weights if you do you know if you're doing biceps today then tomorrow you don't want to go in and lift biceps hard again because you're not you're not getting stronger you're just tearing up the muscles more that totally makes sense so on those recovery days your legs your muscles are actually shredded in your legs and they're just trying to recover. So really the whole point of doing a recovery run is just to promote blood flow. So you're not trying to get out of breath. You're not trying to get like a good workout and it's more just, you know, it's like a jog. Right. You're, you're getting the blood flow to help, you know, help your muscles recover, 
you're, you might be getting your heart rate up a little bit and that's going to increase your cardiovascular endurance, but you're not trying to have another really tough session. You're just trying to get moving and, and get loosened up. So like for a beginner who doesn't run that many days per week, what would be a good option on the day after a workout? As far as the cross training option, I mean, elliptical bike, swimming is really good, rowing, any of those would be really good to kind of get your get your heart rate up a little bit and work on your cardio, but not continue to pound your legs. Yeah, those are really good options because I know a lot of runners out there listening probably run like four or five times a week and want to know what's a good thing to do on the days in between their harder sessions. So another thing that people were asking about and they wanted to learn more about was your go-to race day nutrition. So what do you use before and during your races, like a marathon or half marathon? So I think everyone's really different. You kind of have to find what sits well on your stomach. For my marathon, I, I had half a banana, half of a granola bar that I know works well for me. And then I drank... I was using UCAN during training, so I drank a thing of UCAN. Before well. your run, you did all that? That was before, the, yeah, before the marathon. During training, I had trained with water and Gatorade because and, I knew it was going to be on the course. Oh, right. But I kind of prefer the UCAN, and I've been trying another product called uh, Martine. Oh, yes, I've heard of that. Is it in the black yeah, packets? Yeah, it is. So that's, yeah, that's kind of a new one. I mean, it, it got pretty famous because I think the world record was run using that. It's kind of a European product. So I just got a sample of that. I'm, so I haven't tried it yet, but I'll let you know. Yeah, there was a girl who runs for Run and Fun, the race team that you manage, um, for people who don't know, that she ran her first marathon down at CIM and she ran like 256 and her Husband was handing her bottles of that Morton's stuff on the course. Mm -hmm. And the way they were explaining it was that it like turns into a solid in your stomach. So it's not like sloshing around. So apparently it worked really well because she ran super fast. Yeah, she, she did run well. Yeah. That was the thing that I had practiced kind of for my marathon using, using the UCAN and then I started Gatorade at the end. Uh, it, the marathon was too spaced out that I couldn't get someone to hand me the bottles as readily mm. so I had to go with just the Gatorade on the course that day so luckily I practiced it but ideally I would have liked to have you can or, or something else that I had practiced with so did you take any gels or anything when you were on the course uh, I had yeah I'd been using hammer gels so I was carrying two of those with me and I took one at about mile 12 somewhere around there and then I had another one but my my stomach was sloshing a little bit, mm. so I tossed my other one at, at mile 21 because I was tired of carrying it, and I knew I could. Oh, my gosh. I knew I could uh, get it, be able to stomach it down. Right. You must have been taking in a lot of Gatorade then because, I mean, I don't know how you did it on so few calories. <laughs> I, I was doing I was doing Gatorade and water at, at most stops, which I think is why I got a little sloshy. It was kind of uh, – I mean, the humidity was really high that day, so I was sweating a lot too. So I wanted to make sure I was well hydrated. Yeah, totally. I know when I ran CIM, I was taking water at like every stop. And I almost feel like every time towards the end of a marathon, to some extent, there's that whole, you know, your stomach is hurting and 
because I mean, it's just such a long ways to go and taking in so many fluids. I, I have gotten that at almost all of my marathons to some extent. So I feel like maybe we should get someone on here to talk about, you know, the nutrition side of things. Cause I think we're definitely still kind of tweaking what we do to try to figure out the perfect. Yeah. It's, it's, there's nutrition. always improvements that you can make to always. Yeah. I would, I would really be interested in trying that more and stuff. Cause I think not having that sloshing feeling in your stomach could really help in it, those later miles. It would have. Yeah. Um, so what are some of the lessons that you've learned in your marathoning career that other athletes can learn from? I think probably the, the biggest one would be that it is going to hurt after mile 20, no matter how, you know, no matter how well you train, I, I trained pretty well for, for Bismarck and I felt confident, but after kind of after mile 20, you get to the point where you just, you're definitely negotiating with yourself to keep moving. <laughs> yeah, totally. I think sometimes people get this misconception that running's supposed to be easy or like if you train, you know, the race will be easy or some something along those lines, but I think it's almost the exact opposite. I think it's like the race is when you really have to, you know, give it your all and lay it all out on the line and it's going to hurt a lot. Running is really hard and racing is even harder. Yeah. And I, and I've had people that, you know, at 20, it's going to be tough. So I have people that around that point have run a, you know, had a bad split and their Garmin beeps. And, you know, when my Garmin beeped around mile 20, it was a slower split than my mile before. I was kind of able to get back on track a little bit after that, but it's all about just having, keeping your focus and having the right mentality and, and understanding if you have a bad mile on a marathon, you are still doing 25 other ones that can be good. So don't let it spiral you down. Right. It can be so hard to stay positive in those later miles. Um, I know your first marathon that you ever ran was in black flag conditions. So we're talking like 80 degrees and 90% humidity at the finish line that day. So how on earth (laughs) did you stay positive and not, you know, just walk it in or stop I don't know how did you do it well the last two miles I just kept telling myself just make it look like a run like (laughs) just keep keep moving your arms and make people think that you're still running but uh you know that was tough I was in really good shape and I went through the half with a group of guys that we were running the exact pace that we wanted to run and then my second half was pretty poor as kind of the heat caught up to me and and I was able to just keep moving. A lot of the guys in the pack that I was in dropped out or finished 20 or 30 minutes behind me. So, wow. So it's tough. I mean, it's tough when that happens. That's another thing with marathoning. You can't – all you can control is how you run, and, and you can't always control everything about that anyway. But but there's going to be weather. There's going to be other factors that can suck but you just have to say, well, you know, I'm just going to do the best that I can. Right. It's all about like your attitude and how you perceive everything around you. Cause I mean, at that point you like knew, okay, I I can finish this and I'm, I'm going to become a marathoner and you probably weren't expecting that it was going to be 80 degrees that day. Cause normally at grandma's it's like in the forties. And so just staying positive to somehow make it to the finish line. And you ran like two forty that day. So that is really 
fast <laughs> and especially in black flag conditions yeah and i've had some other situations similar to that that have been unfortunate i was training for 10k on the track and it was 88 degrees that day <sighs> and the, the race was scheduled for two o'clock so i had another one that i was training hard for a half that i went down to florida and you know it's it's usually supposed to be about 60 degrees there but it was 41 degrees and freezing rain the entire oh no half marathon so i got re- really really chilled especially near the end so th- those things happen i mean in all those races i kept going and finished but slower than i would have would have liked to right so how do you approach or how would you tell an athlete or yourself to approach a race where you're looking at the forecast and it says you know, it's going to be 70s during your marathon or 60s or, you know, 80s or whatever. How do you adjust like a pacing plan um, before a race when you've put in so much work and you want to run a fast time, but you see the weather? Yeah. I mean, I think, I think you have to try to not look at it. I really tried not to look at it as much when I was going to Bismarck, but I knew it was going to be a little humid. And so, so you have to start out a little bit slower but I think just being confident in, in the training that you've done and just going to do your best, you know, understand that it's not ideal, but not panicking or, or worrying too much about it. I think sometimes people overanalyze things like that. I mean, I, I have run really good races in, in bad conditions as well. And, and that's usually when I just don't think about it or I just think okay, right. everybody else is dealing with this too. I'm just going to do the best I can. Yeah, like the victory 10K, you ran the 10K and then you ran the 5K right after. It, I thought it was so hot because I was looking at the humidity. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, it's 95% humidity. Even though it didn't feel that hot that day, I let myself – I looked at the weather and I was like, oh, it's going to be so hard. And then when I saw, like, that you ran so well, I'm like, okay, maybe it, the humidity wasn't that big of a factor. And I really, like, let myself get in my own head. So I do think there is a little bit – there where it is kind of mental <laughs> I think so yeah I think yeah the mind is really powerful yeah and but it definitely does play a factor and I think like you said starting off you know 10-15 seconds per mile slower than what you originally had planned and if it's really hot maybe even like 30 seconds per mile slower or if you know the weather is going to be horrendous and this is like your a race you're all about it maybe you find another race that's a few weeks later. I mean, cause sometimes like at Boston this year, for example, it wasn't like an A race for me where I was trying to go after like a PR. But when I saw that weather, I felt so bad for people who this was their A race. Like they were going to put it all on the line. And most people did not even come within like five to 10 minutes of their goal time. So sometimes when the weather conditions are like that bad, um, you might consider another another race. I mean, it's hard when it's Boston. You're you all traveled out there. Um, yeah, maybe I, just. I think it can be hard when you when you start to play that game of trying to switch switch races. I mean, because totally because you've already had the training. All your mentality is is set towards this one race. So then I think it can really throw off your mental game if you think about making a change late in the game. Right. And I think sometimes it's like, well, you're here. You can't control the weather. Might as well just get out there and do it. And that's what I loved about Boston this year. Like everyone had to travel there. So they pretty much all started the race and it was just, you know, we're all in it and the weather sucks. We can't control it. And 
you just give it your best. And that's kind of what running is all about. It's not necessarily about like the stars have to align and it's more of like joy in the journey than, you know, oh, it was the perfect race day, 45 degree weather and no sun and all the stars aligned. Yeah, that really Yeah, it hardly ever happens. I I don't know. So it's it's more of like the experience and everything. Yeah, I think for like for Boston, I think a lot of people that I know were kind of or coached for Boston last year kind of just approached it with the right idea that, well, hey, this is just not gonna be as good as I hope. So I'm just gonna have fun with it. And and I think that tends to be more successful in a case like that. I had a I had a race that I was going to do in Albuquerque it was a 10k and it was 98 degrees and so I just started off way way easier like 30 seconds easier than what my normal 10k pace was and and two guys went out way in front of me and then when I finished I was going in to finish and the announcer said oh and here comes the winner now and I finished and I said okay no there was two guys ahead of me and they had both passed out from heat exhaust oh wow yeah (laughs) I mean it's all about listening to your body and just adjusting and whatever the day gives you, you can just, you know, give it your best. It's not necessarily about like every day is all about, you know, PR. Sometimes it's just about going out there and just like laying it on the line, yeah. whatever that means that day right. and making adjustments as needed. I think that's, that's really, that's good to know that we're not alone and you've definitely faced some crazy temperatures out there. Yeah. Um, so what are ways that you keep the passion and purpose alive with your running? I think for me, I always didn't wear the watch on Fridays for my easy run, but now I do that even more. So that that's one thing. I think kind of mixing it up, sometimes driving to a different trail, running, running with someone that I don't normally run with can also kind of keep that passion. And then just just making sure it's fun. You know, if, if it comes to the point and I've been at that point a couple of times in running where it kind of feels like a job and it's just, you know, kind of a, a grind, then just say, okay, I, I need to take a step back. Or I need to take, I need to take three days off or a week off and, and really refocus and remember why I do this because, because it's fun. Isn't it hard to just like up and take a few days off, even though you're feeling kind of burnt and all that stuff. Like I know, I've told athletes, you know what, take, you know, take a week off then. Like, cause sometimes it's like, you deserve the break, you know, like you're, you've been working really hard and like, if things just aren't clicking and you haven't taken an off season, sometimes you just need like a week off or a couple of days off. Um, cause there's different things that happen like with life and sometimes work is really stressful or other things are happening where it's like, okay, just, just take a couple of days. It's going to be okay. But how do you allow yourself to just like take that break? I think I've just gotten better at it as I've as as you age and mature as a runner I'm sure yeah but um, yeah I used to have a really hard time definitely in in high school and college not wanting to take a day off or wanting to wanting to run every day or have have a streak of running but now as I've gotten older it's gotten a lot easier to just say okay you know I just I need the day off or I you know I drove 10 hours a day or I worked a long day I just need to take this night and just kind of sit on the couch and watch TV or so it's gotten easier. You know, I don't, don't make a habit of it or, you know, when it, when it do that all the time, but it's okay sometimes to listen to your body and listen to your mind and just say, I just need to take a little step back. Totally. That's really good advice. 
And I know that you spend a lot of your time kind of giving back to the running community. Like you manage a race team and you do a running group out of a gym in Minnetonka and you, your full-time job is a running coach. So like, do you think that that helps keep your passion alive for running, like giving back to the community? Yeah, I definitely do. I think, I mean, I do a lot of stuff like that. I work, I also work with kids that are just starting to run too. So I think that helps keep it in perspective. I've done a lot of work with people that have intellectual or physical disabilities. So being able to see them run, you know, kind of helps put it in perspective. Like, wow, you know, they're just really happy to be able to run. So I shouldn't take myself that seriously with my running because it is, you know, it's, it's just running. Yeah. You know, totally. Some people can't do it. So we're, we are lucky if we can do it or whatever extent you can do in running or physical activity, you're lucky. Yes. Sometimes I love working with the beginner athletes because it's like they run one mile and like how excited they get over it. And it makes me super excited. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, like it's almost like I'm reliving the first time I could ever run a mile. And then it kind of brings you back. It's like, this is what it's all about. It's just about, you know, having fun with it and celebrating the little things and sharing your joy with other people. Right. They, yeah. And people, I I get that, hear that a lot. Like, Oh, you know, I'm not, I'm not really a runner or I'm not very fast or, you know, but everybody has different levels and abilities and everybody's doing it for a different reason. I mean, most people are not trying to make the Olympics or some people aren't even trying to run a PR. They're just trying to be able to say, I did a 5k and I ran the whole thing or I did a marathon and that's okay. Everybody has a different reason but it's just good to to be out there doing it. Right. I think giving back is so important. And I think it really helps keep like the passion alive for the sport, especially because you've been doing that since you were like 13. Now you're almost 30. I mean, that's, that's a long time to be running at a competitive level. And I think the fact that you do give back so much of your time to the running community, I think it really helps you like keep it in perspective. So if other people were interested in ways that they could give back and kind of start that process, what would you suggest that they do? Um, I would say try to look for like a local youth team that you could volunteer with because they, I mean, like the one I have, not everyone there is, is a coach or certified coach, but they can be out there having fun and playing with kids and, or another one would just be looking to a local race to see if you can hand out water or, or do any of that grunt work that not everybody wants to do. Because yeah. It- Are you still there? Yeah. Oh, sorry. <laughs> it's okay. Yeah, so I, I think just trying trying to get involved and give back in, in some way. Yeah, I think that that's huge. And that's definitely good to know. So I think volunteering at races is like huge. Most people have run races. But have you volunteered at a race? And I think if we were to ask that, I don't think many people would say that they've volunteered. And it takes a lot of volunteers to put on those races, even if they're small. Um, So just giving back, that can be huge. And even it puts it in a different perspective. You see how much work goes behind those races. And when you're standing at the start line of your next race, you kind of have like those flashbacks of you volunteering and what went into it. And it gives you a new perspective and a new appreciation for what you're about to do out there on the race course. Yeah, I think so. And 
it's really important. Make sure you thank the people that volunteer at races that you run because they didn't get to run the race. They were just there handing out water. Yes. There were so many volunteers at every event. It's amazing. So we posted in our athlete group to see if there were any questions that people wanted to have answers to. So maybe I'm just going to do like a rapid, like bring up a topic and you give me kind of a quick one to two sentence answer just to see what we get. All right. So someone wants to know about how you stay mentally tough. I think it's just something that you really have to work on. I mean, basically every run that you get is an opportunity to work on your physical running, but also to work on your mental game. So when you have a workout and you're doing your last rep and it starts to get tough, that's when you need to push, push through there and, and just finish and feel accomplished about what you did. And that's going to translate to your races too. What are some mistakes that you made as a runner? Uh, I've made a ton of them, I'm sure. <laughs> Run, running too hard, worrying about worrying about running hard on the easy days, trying to compete too much with myself or with other people, um, not being too hard on myself about a race that I didn't think went that well. So many things to learn from. Yeah, that's great. Um, how do you balance running with your life? So I know you are full-time, your wife works full-time. How do you find the time to do it? I think you really have to, it has to be a priority and make time. I mean, things have changed a lot from when, from 2013 when I was running really fast and, and I wasn't married, you know, and, and didn't have really a full-time job. I had more of a fun or part, part-time job that I was just kind of breaking into things. So making time for it, having it be a priority. My wife, she runs too, so we run together a lot. Or, you know, I just sometimes have to go and do my own thing too. But I think yeah. just making it a priority and knowing that I need to get, get to run in for my physical and mental health. Awesome answer. Um, the next one is, how do you do a warm-up for a race? So it, it really depends. Again, I would just start to you know jog whatever if it's a 5k i might go two miles if it's a marathon i might just jog for five minutes and but not worrying about pace at all so if you're going four or five minutes slower than what your goal pace is for that race that's okay you're you're just getting your muscles loose and warmed up right don't worry about it and with a marathon i mean the first couple miles you don't want to go out crazy anyway that should be an extended warm-up Oh yeah, totally. I don't even <laughs> warm up for a marathon. Some people would probably say, "Oh, you could do like you know a couple minute jog." But I, I, I just... jog from the car to the starting line, you know. And yeah, yeah, you don't need to do much there. I know some of our athletes kind of sometimes if you've never done a warm up before, like a five k or ten k, it can be kind of awkward. I I know sometimes the first time I did it at a race, I was like, "Okay, well, where do I run? I'm wearing my bib. The race is gonna get started." In like an hour, like when do you start your warm up? And let's say this was the first time you're ever gonna do a warm up and you're just like kind of a beginner, five K, ten K runner, what sort of warm up should you do and like where do you run? I would just say, you know, start at the starting line twenty minutes twenty to thirty minutes before the race and just run five minutes out and five minutes back at a really easy pace. I mean you could even just walk. Just just kinda get moving, get ready. If you start at the starting line and go out, then you can kind of familiarize yourself. Like, okay, this is what the the first five minutes is going to look like. So right. just kind of get that feel 
and then, you know, and then you can come back and be confident, you know, kind of where you're going and your muscles are a little bit warm and you're just ready to go. Yeah. I love that. I love coming, going out and back. Cause then when you come back, you can like kind of look at the finish line and think of how you want to be feeling the last five, 10 minutes of the course. I always say to myself, I'm going to feel strong here. I'm going to be confident here. Like my form's going to be good. And then you just kind of get yourself like jacked up that way too. Yeah, I think so. Um, and then another topic that we had was, do you think that some people are naturally better than others when it comes to just the athletic field and how, how can you like maximize your potential? Oh yeah. I mean, there, there definitely are differences by, you know, based on your genes. Um, but I think anybody in running and anybody can, can be a runner and anybody can improve in running. It just kind of depends on, on what your goals are, how much you're willing to put in to it. So, you know, now for me, maybe it's not improving on my mile or 5k time, but it's just doing something else better. Maybe my lifting or my stretching routine slightly better. So I think everyone, you just have to be realistic and, and know that you're competing with yourself. So as long as you're trying to be a better you, that that's all that really matters. But but yeah, some people are definitely more talented and gifted than others. Yeah, totally. But I think that a lot of people I've, I've heard people ask, Oh, I think I've peaked, you know, and what would you say to someone who maybe they're, you know, three, four years into running or like five years in and they've done a few marathons and they really want to like qualify for Boston or break three hours but they feel like they've peaked or plateaued. Um, what would you say to that? Well, I would say, I mean, it, there is a huge mental component because if you've been running four or five years, you're definitely not physiologically peaked. You might just need to change some things up, you know, look at your training a little differently or, or it might be looking at something else, your strength or your nutrition a little, a little more. But I definitely think you can always still improve. And then, even so you can look, you know, you can look into your last marathon and try to pick apart, like what, what did I do well, or what did I do poorly? I mean, starting out even 10 seconds fast per mile in a marathon is going to really hurt you in the end. So I think you can always continue to improve on yourself in different areas. Yeah, totally. I love that answer. I think a lot of the times people, it, it is mental. I mean, sometimes they put limits on themselves and think, Oh, I've peaked, but you know, I, I think it, I'm going to bring up Stephanie Flippin again. She thought back in like 2013, I think that she had peaked, um, which is really funny because she ran 350 in 2017. That was her marathon PR. And then one year later she was running a 305 and that was after she thought in her mind that she peaked. So I think a lot of it is mental because I think she did have, you know, like a change of attitude and mentality where she was like, you know what, this isn't everything that I have to give. And she made some tweaks and adjustments and broke through a plateau. So you can definitely, I mean, sometimes there are those plateaus where you question, like, is this it for me? Like I, for two years was stuck, like running the same marathon times. So I'm like, this is it. Like, you know, like there were times where I thought that, but in order to break through it, I had to change my attitude and stop, you know, like feeling sorry for myself. I was like, okay, I need to like get outside opinions. And like, so I need someone to tell me like what I'm doing wrong. You know, like, I need someone to like straight shoot to me. Cause sometimes like, you know, there's things that you should be improving on, but 
it takes that like outsider to kind of push you to the next level. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So I think that this was really beneficial. And what would you have to say to anyone that wants to work with you or get to know more about you? How can they contact you? Well, you can uh, reach out to me by email. I'll, I'll respond pretty quick. We could just chat a little bit about it. Probably email is better. I'm not not always on social media as much as some of the other coaches. <laughs> yeah. Ben's weak spot is the social media, but he's super fast at emails. He will like respond in like five seconds, <laughs> but yeah. So his email is Ben at run prs.co and I'll put it in the notes of the podcast. Um, but yeah, thank you so much for taking the time yeah. to interview and share all of your knowledge with us. Yeah. Thanks for having me. It was fun. Yeah. Talk to you soon.